Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How you doing? Doing doing very well. Enjoying the, the spring, which is just starting in sort of, maybe not even just starting, just in proceeding. Yeah, for listeners... Peter has looked out the window in the hope that the spring will confirm it is indeed there. <laughs> I was almost tempted last year, or was it the year before? I can't remember. Uh, I asked everyone on my Facebook what the 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 most summery song they knew was, and then I made a playlist of all of those songs. Uh, and so I've I've got like the ultimate summertime playlist. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, ultimate. Some people's interpretation of the brief was was different. But still, it's a very jolly, <laughs> jolly soundtrack, and I was I nearly listened to it the other day. Wow, prematurely. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just sunny? I was driving around in the sunny, had my shades on, and I thought I just need nice. some some len steal my sunshine, and it will be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Frank? You, you, you yeah, doing okay? I'm good. Yeah. If listeners notice that I sound a bit different, I'm recording from a different place. I've moved house, moved across the country, up the country. Yeah, up the country, exactly. Only way is up. And yeah, it's all gone pretty well and pretty smoothly. And this is my first time recording here now. So any feedback on how it sounds appreciated, of course. It might be that I have to tweak things a bit more. But no buses on the road outside, which is just amazing. So yeah, we'll see how we get on. Which is up from a train station, aren't you? Yeah, uh, it's the other way, though. It's the other end of the terrace. Right, okay. Yeah, no tracks outside the window or anything. That's a shame. Yeah, the delightful rumble of the occasional passing uh, DMU. <laughs> let's let's find out all you know about trains, yeah. Peter, <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. Right. So, what are we actually talking about? Well, well, it's something nearly nearly as exciting as trains. It's mm. distribution methods. <laughs> oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah. Yes, so what we thought we'd do, enough time has passed, we think, since Edge of the Earth came out, that we can take a good view on what the, the differences are from the old model of distribution, so a deluxe box and then six uh, mythos packs, mm-hmm. nearly called them chapter packs, which, wow, is it chapter pack? I can't remember. Every game, every every LCG called them something different, didn't they? Yeah, data, data packs, pack, chapter pack. So yeah, Game of Thrones had little throne packs. I don't know what they were called. <laughs> and what we're calling the new model, which is a campaign and investigator, or separate campaign and investigator ex- uh, expansions. Yeah, the two-box model. The two-box model. That's how uh, Edge of the Earth came. It's how the Dunwich Legacy is being repackaged. I think we've had an announcement for uh, Path to Carcosa now in the same model. That's right, yeah. So I, I don't think it's a stretch to say, not that we have any inside information. I think we might see The Forgotten Age and then the, the remaining campaigns slowly re-released in this format as well. Tangentially, the one kind of question mark still hanging around is will we see return tos for Dream Eaters and Innsmouth? Because we haven't seen them yet. And they're in the this sort of halfway space between old and new model. Because that's the other part of the old model, isn't it? A deluxe, six Mythos packs maybe a return to box later on to store your scenarios in and flesh out some of the cards. Yeah. 
Anyway, definitely a tangent. Well, but but I did want to ask something related, and I think I know the answer, mm. but I'll ask it anyway. The the return two packs are they included in the reissues? My understanding is they are not. Yeah, that was my understanding as well, and that they're a nice product because they're a, another storage solution, and that they yes. exist. But maybe we'd need confirmation on that. I've not had anyone messaging me saying I've ticked that I own all of Dunwich on Arkham DB but it doesn't have all the cards I've got in my new <laughs> Investigator expansion for players. Yeah, okay. Which makes me think that there's not a problem there. Because we had that when Core 2.0 came out. Right, okay. That because it included some extra cards, there were a few people saying, I'm clicking that I own the Core, but I don't have Charisma, or I don't have Right of Seeking 2, or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that that would be my understanding. I thought you were going to ask something else, which is, will we see a return to Edge of the Earth? Well, um, that is another open question, right? Um, both mm. the re- return twos, the the cycles in the old model, uh, and the return to on the existing cycles going forwards. Mm. It's, a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I, I don't want to call it either way. My gut would be that return to is, is, is it like an... Op- Aside from the player cards, so it's a chance to return to some of the player cards that maybe didn't quite hit home and, and buff them up in in a in an upgraded version. Mm. It's a chance to kind of flesh out some of the story mechanics in the original campaign, right? So to mm. kind of give those a little bit of a a bit of a tweak based on some some feedback, I think. But the the, the this model, the new model, allows for more exploration in terms of the scenario design anyway. So, mm. I don't know, is it kind of redundant going back to explore them? Mm. I don't know. I, I don't want to call it. Yeah. Weirdly, I thought that they had called it and said that there wouldn't be return tos. Right. But I said that recently to someone who said, that's wrong. Where have you got that from? <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> so I'm really doubting myself. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know why I'd absorbed this sort of anecdotal information as fact and was then corrected. So, yeah. Yeah, um, it's making me think maybe we should have a return to episode because they do seem to respond to lots of different things from a campaign, which in itself is fascinating. And the other thing, like you said about the player cards, that whole idea of filling out the player card environment for a given cycle, it's almost like are they cards that were left on the cutting room floor or are they cards that they've added new? We don't quite know the design process to know. Did they go back and go, you know what? We really need... Five more tarot, or whatever it is. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and and that's reminded me as well, of course, in the Return to the Circle Undone, we got the tarot deck, which is a really uh, out-of-the-box... <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I made myself laugh so much when I said that. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> I cut all this out. It's a very unusual thing to have added. It's not part of the... the Mm. the usual things we'd see in, in, a, in a release, is it? I'm going to leave all of that in. That was amazing. <laughs> I thought, I don't know what, what caused that. Sorry. Uh, out of the return to box. Yeah. <laughs> so what we've done for thinking about distribution models, old and new, is we've sort of broken it down into pros and cons, and we want to look at this from the angle of what it means to be a player consuming either model what it means to be a content creator following either model, and then also maybe what it means for the designers in terms of that shift. Obviously, we can speak to varying degrees of expertise 
to each of those topics because we've not designed in the old model or new. So we're relying on things Maxine has told us or we've seen her or other designers say in interviews for that part of it. And I guess I wanted to caveat at the start as well. I think one of the things that she was worried about was that maybe content creators suffered with the new model in terms of the kind of feast or famine droughts between releases. And I guess I want to say that this isn't an episode where we complain about that, or we might we might say we found it harder, I don't know. I'd even go so far as to say if players are happy with the new model, which I feel like that seems to be the, the, the main position I see, and the designers are happy, it's a good challenge for content creators rather than a problem. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so should we start with the Deluxe? Deluxe plus Mythos box. <laughs> Should we start with the Deluxe Mythos packs old model? Yes. And think about some some advantages and disadvantages of that model. Yes. Well, I guess the first question, and this is not one I have an answer for, why is the the why was that the model? Mm, wow. <laughs> I was first introduced to it in Netrunner. Yeah. I guess going from that, it it was also the model they introduced for Game of Thrones. 1.0, which started as a CCG and became their first LCG. Uh, yes. Was that not... Was Call of Cthulhu not the first one? Oh, was it Call of Cthulhu? I, I thought Call of Cthulhu was... Oh, maybe Call of Cthulhu was CCG into LCG. Yeah, yeah. I think that started yeah. off with a with a random distribution and then became fixed distribution. But mm, there was still okay, like a yeah. really weird distribution of cards in the packs. So mm. you'd buy a, mm. like a Oh, I have no idea what they were. Probably Mythos packs. You'd, you'd buy a Mythos pack and it would have like one of some cards, two of some cards, three of some other cards. So if you oh, wanted okay. a playset, you'd have to buy multiple of those packs as well. Wow. Wow. Okay. I mean, the, we know we have listeners who are much more into Call of Cthulhu LCG than we ever were. So they can let us know if we've got that completely wrong. Yeah. But the big picture thing here is that the model was created off the back of wanting to complete, compete with collectible card games in a way that was more affordable, so fixed distribution. But it was definitely born out of the idea of you want people to go to their game shop every month and buy your product, so you want to have something out pretty much monthly. Yeah, yeah. Is that, that's fair to say, right? I it's, think so, yeah. It, it, that, that's where it comes from. It's like we'd like to lure people in with regular small purchases and that that would be affordable. And that's how it works, I guess. And we saw with lots of competitive games, the deluxe box then that started a new cycle would often focus on one or two factions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'd have this slightly strange meta going on where a deluxe would drop, two factions would get a big boost because they'd get lots of toys and you'd live through a, a cycle. So that would be six, seven, eight months until the next deluxe where maybe a couple of factions were stronger or not. And yeah, it was somewhat uneven like that. But then they took that model, and when they created their first cooperative LCG, Lord of the Rings LCG, they stuck to the model, essentially. Lord of the Rings, each cycle introduced a new kind of area where the story would go, mm-hmm. and you'd have a couple of scenarios in the pack, in the deluxe box, and then each further pack would have a scenario and player cards. And a hero. Just before we move on from competitive, mm. I think it's worth mentioning that the way that competitive metas worked was that a, a new pack would come out, there would be a shifting to accommodate the cards that were coming out in that pack, 
mm-hmm. and then it would so 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 that the, there was a tended to be a bit of a longer gap between a deluxe box and then the first data pack of a cycle and then between the last data pack and the next deluxe box mm-hmm. so you had a period of like settling between those releases uh, over the course of a cycle there'd be a, a very constant shifting of meta as 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 the cycle progressed as probably like a couple of key cards came out in each pack that fleshed mm. out some archetypes or, or offered a new archetype. Yeah, so you got this kind of constantly shifting metagame. And what you would find is if there was a long period between, say, the end of a cycle and the next deluxe box, you'd almost start to feel a bit stagnant mm-hmm. where the innovation happened quite quickly. I think especially compared to compared to like a huge game like Magic, where there's a huge back catalogue to explore and there's a lot of cards coming on a regular basis. You know, with the, the, the LCGs aren't aren't quite at that level. So I think like the, when people are playing a lot online, able to test a lot online, mm-hmm. the meta kind of gets solved almost quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it can it can start to feel a bit of a drag between those releases. So the new release comes mm-hmm. along and boom, you've got a load of new cards. Because your only way to play the game is against other people right keeping the meta active and interesting and not stagnant is important for actually not just for some players who want to be competitive but in fact sustaining the whole game you need a drip feed of content in some way to just keep keep things ticking over is the assumption yeah the assumed position here now i'm i'm not a massive expert on it but there was a change when they uh started doing the uh Legend of the Five Rings LCG, where they mm-hmm. issued was it a, they did a weekly release base a weekly release for some of the cycles. Mm-hmm. So you had the first six cycle week. with six packs, six weeks. Yeah, yeah. and f- anecdotally, I've heard from people that 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 on the other hand was totally overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was too many cards coming out too quickly for anyone to handle it, especially in separate releases as well. And obviously, it was very expensive because this is the other thing. I guess we, we might touch on this. Um, what each pack is going to cost you in in UK currency, I guess, sort of ten to fifteen pounds. So you're paying sort of sixty to ninety pounds for those packs, plus another mm-hmm. twenty pounds for the, the 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 deluxe box, which is obviously ultimately quite a lot of money. And if you're asked to do that over eight months versus over, over <laughs> six, six weeks, yeah. it's also <laughs> yeah, also. It is. It's considerable in that regard, for sure. So, yeah, there's something here then again about timing. I think the other big complaint for L5R was they did the six-pack six weeks and then there was a drought. Yes, yeah. So there was this slightly awkward situation of why didn't you just space these releases out? Yeah, yeah. And it would be great to be able to speak to the developers and and find out. I'm sure they probably were on podcasts justifying the decision. It, the whole thrust of it was like, this is our big flagship new LCG. It's going to revive LCGs for us. We're going to be really excited when we start. But yeah, maybe it was more off-putting than they realised. So that context is really useful to know about, I think, because as I started talking about Lord of the Rings, it was carried across into the cooperative model. This is where it comes from, right? That you would want a drip feed of content, that you would want cards for every faction in the pack so that people are happy and it feels a bit like a happy accident that it ended up being suitable for Arkham I think because it created for us a scenario a month more or less a few new cards 
So for players, you're getting the drip feed, as I said. For content creators, there's something to talk about in terms of new cards or, I mean, it depends how detailed you want to be, but there's releases to keep up with. And for the designers, I guess they have these self-contained units to work with, the Mythos pack that they need to build scenarios for. And we are very lucky that for Arkham, Maxine's journey into becoming a developer was being a fan developing scenarios for Lord of the Rings and enjoying that restriction and then getting a job at FFG off the back of her work as a designer and really thriving in that. What can you cram into a 60-card deck, including some player cards? Yeah. So it seems like that restriction for her was something that she found creatively empowering or, you know, she enjoyed that challenge. And I heard her say... I think it was on the live stream when they announced Edge of the Earth that she was one of the people who was a little bit less sure about switching to the new model mm. and and removing all creative res- um, constraints might be uh, more trouble than it's worth. So, so yeah, sort of fascinating that she's someone who's really cut her teeth on the old model and feels like she could design to a really high level within those restrictions. And we've seen it across the the cycles in Arkham that she's designed. Like the range that she's produced, I think, is incredible in terms of experience. Now can we talk a little bit about some of the the cons for the for the purchaser, the hashtag consumer? Yeah. Because I think that the we talked about competitive LCGs a bit there. One of the things one of the issues on a competitive LCG, well I guess one of the selling points is that there's a level playing field, that there's no chasing of rares. Everyone has the same access to the cards. Obviously, there's still the criticism, I guess, of, of something like Magic the Gathering is someone with a lot of money can go and buy all the best cards and make a great deck. You still mm. need a lot of money to buy all the cards for an LCG. Uh, it's just not on the same level as like buying a handful of expensive cards of Magic would buy you the entire back catalogue of some of these LCGs. Mm. However, you do run into an issue where if there's a key card, I mean, if we think of Netrunner, something like Jackson Howard, uh, if you don't have access to that pack, you don't have that card, and if that pack goes out of stock, then you're going to be a little bit hamstrung until you're able to get access to that. Now, in those situations where it's just one or two cards... Casually, most people wouldn't mind you proxying. And quite often, there are things like alternate art cards you can buy, so you, you can flesh out your deck relatively easily. The problem when we translate that to a co-op game is that to, to play the campaign, each step in the campaign is a mandatory one. Mm. So you can't necessarily skip scenarios. I can't go straight from uh, Miskatonic Museum to Blood on the Altar. Yeah. Yeah. I need to have that bridging scenario in there without, I mean, you can maybe work it so that you could you just play them standalone or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot less satisfying when we've translated that model to a co-op version. And the game was very popular early in its life. So those packs became very hard to find. And you hear stories about people, you know, they've been waiting six months, 12 months for a particular pack in a particular cycle to become available so they can complete their, mm-hmm. their campaign. And that's definitely not an ideal solution. No. I'm glad you mentioned Miskatonic Museum because that had charisma in it. Yes. And I think, so there was two two challenges there. It's the first scenario in the, 
the packs for that campaign. And it had a very popular player card that I believe people wanted multiple copies of, potentially, you know, four copies in your collection rather than just two, because you might be playing four player and supporting people. So, yeah, I think there was demand for the player cards in that pack and demand for the scenario. And it meant that people starting the game and, and getting the tip of buy the core set and then most people still recommend Dunwich as the first experience after the core set. It was like, oh, but you can play a seven scenario thing and the Necronomicon, you just ignore that that was a thing because you don't get to play that scenario. That's yeah. missing. Yeah, really, really um, uncomfortable situation to be in, I think. And and it's a huge amount of stock for a shop to keep, for a retailer to keep in, in stock, right? Yes, yeah. That's the other big problem with the model and would not, we're not retailers, we don't have that expertise. And actually, I would mention that Team Covenant have explored this kind of topic a lot. And obviously, they approach it as players, but also as retailers, because they have a shop. And they've said some very interesting things. But yeah, the keeping one cycle on your shelves is what, six blister packs and one box. But as soon as you want to stock now, all of the cycles of Arkham, it's an incredible amount of storage space that starts being filled up, even just for one pack of each. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if the other sort of downside, certainly for the designer of the of the model, the old model, is that it became, being a bit cautious with my words here, maybe a bit stale, mm. or what was at first a satisfying creative constraint started to just become a constraint and not breed creativity. And I, while I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about the times when Maxine has tried to break from the model. So things like Heart of the Elders, where you have two scenarios in one pack, or or two half scenarios, or um, Dream Eaters, where you have two campaigns of length of four. Yeah, I'd say that some of those things where she's pushed the boat out a bit more have been the ones that haven't landed as well, broadly speaking. Yeah, yeah, I'd tend to agree with that. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's where the model was maybe holding back design. And we said on our end of Edge of the Earth episode, imagine if you could go back and do Heart of the Elders in the style of Ice and Death and actually have a massive map that, yeah, halfway through you flip all the locations and you go to all of the underground locations. It'd just be incredible. I think there's a lot of similarity between Edge of the Earth and The Forgotten Age. I think that, that you know, think about it. You, you do that early exploration of the map you like yep. you you put the whole map out and then you've got a big exploration of a city in there mm-hmm. uh, you've got diving into ruins and ancient technology i think there's a lot of thematic similarities and i think and, and this is like companion isn't it you you have a companion with you through a lot of the mm-hmm. the, the, the campaign mm-hmm. in the forgotten age which feels a bit like the companion system in yeah the partner system in edge of the earth i think there's a lot of similarities there it revisits a kind of similar thematic exploration type uh, environment with a with mm. a hostile environment trying to hurt you and yeah. you know you you've it's not the same but you're managing the the partners a bit like you're managing the supplies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's so much slicker in how it manages to do that in my opinion edge of the earth is yeah edge of the earth is yeah 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 i yeah i'm inclined to agree i think you could almost say forgotten age is Maxine trying to do Edge of the Earth, but within the constraints of the old model. Yeah. We have to chop this into eight pieces. Oh, hang on. Maybe we should try and do a ninth. Like, oh, we can try and do it here. And we'll sacrifice 
expansiveness to try and fit in all of the content we want. To an extent, I, I, I almost have a suspicion, and I think Maxine has said this in the past, that like for Dunwich, it was more like they had eight ideas for scenarios and then they came up with a way of linking them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the format was always driving the structure of the campaigns. So the fact yeah. that it was going to be you know, eight scenarios across seven products, roughly. That that forced them to structure the campaigns in a particular way. And obviously mm-hmm. all those scenarios end up being roughly the same size. And you can't do anything where you miss things out. The reaction when that happens is usually relatively negative. Mm-hmm. So if I've mm-hmm. got a way of skipping a scenario, it's like, well, why did I bother buying the box? Yeah, uh, or, or you yeah. have premature ends to the campaign. It's like, well, I guess that's us now. Then, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to see these last two boxes. Why am I going to bother buying them? Mm. Mm. Especially when I think some of the inspiration for the game is in products like a kind of choose your own adventure, fighting fantasy style. Like the mm. the, the choices you make between scenarios feel like they have that that feel to them, and they reward repeat plays as well. You get to experience mm. different pathways through them. Uh, you get to unpick bits of the narrative, which are, are foreshadowed early and then pay off later. That kind of stuff is all in there with the potential for you to miss it um, mm, because it's yeah, been shoehorned yeah. into this linear this linear structure. Totally, totally. It's funny you mentioned the thing about why would I why would I buy a pack if I finish the campaign? Mm-hmm. Definitely heard of that before. Heard of players saying, you know, I waited so long for the pack, I've just abandoned the campaign as well. You know, yeah. if there's one part missing. And the other aspect as well, I think, is that often one player is buying to support a whole group. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing we don't necessarily see fully, but you're, you know, someone might say, oh, I buy the packs, but I play with my partner. Or I have two friends who come over and it's my collection. So there's all sorts of pressures on the player, putting air quotes on, to sort of support a, a wider group that requires getting packs and feeling like you get the full experience. And yeah, to go back to what you said about eight scenarios that they then kind of peg to a story i even remember maxine saying one of the things they did was just design maps yeah and they'd have layouts like what if the map is a straight line what if the map is a circle what if the map is you know this that or the other and then can we fit can we fit a a scenario to that and how would we do that and then can we plug that scenario into a into a campaign i feel like they've more or less abandoned that as a it's not a gimmick but as an approach it feels it was certainly with edge of the earth it felt much more these are the story beats we're going to hit can we fit fun maps to that rather than the other way around i could be wrong there is the kind of spokes and and wheels of heart of madness so maybe that maybe the map came first and they said what would this be but yeah i'd be inclined to think that it's more story led maybe that's a reach yeah We've um, we've started talking about the new model, this campaign expansion and investigator expansion for players. Yes. Should we? What are some of the advantages of that model? Are you happy to move on to it? Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy. Well, to me, I, I think there's a lot of advantages for the the hashtag consumer. Mm-hmm. All of it is available at once, so you just buy the two, uh, buy the two boxes. I mean, not the two boxes at the same time. Mm. This is a two-month leap. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that'll change in the future. But yeah, there's there's 
only two purchases required. Um, and I think actually that's it's a, it's a it's an interesting one. <laughs> Depending on your player group, you might it, it allows you more flexibility. The old model forced anyone who wanted all of the player cards to also own all the scenario cards. So I have a group of friends and I'm the only person they play with, pretty much. So they have almost, well, probably more than half the cards they buy they're never actually going to use. So this this allows you to, if you're playing in in a regular group, you can buy one copy of the, the scenario and then everyone buys their own player expansion. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to give it to get an influx of, and well, there are people who are the other way around, right? Who don't feel like they've explored the the player pool of the cards they've got, but want more story to play with, yeah. so they can just yeah. pick up a new story. And in fact, this was the reaction of some people. It was a surprising reaction because it's not one I would have thought of. But I asked a friend about some other friends that they know that play Arkham, and they said, "Well, you know." We just like to pick up a new story, and you can do that. I think they're sort of forty to fifty quid, mm. so it's much less expensive than buying all of the individual packs, and requires no hunting for those packs if it's an older cycle. Mm-hmm. Just boom, forty-five yeah. quid, two months uh, play Arkham just in a box. Yeah, yeah. You're not getting anything that you didn't want. I mean, that sounds obvious, yeah. but you're just, you can say, this is what I'd like. I'd like more player cards or I'd like more story. And those two things are kept separate. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a real advantage. The other thing I, I think is, so actually, this is something we didn't talk about on the previous one. In Arkham, unlike even Lord of the Rings LCG, there's a campaign aspect, right? Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. LCG, although you do. You play them as a. You still play as a campaign, right? I've never played it, so. But you can reconstruct your deck between scenarios. The scenario, yeah, yeah, exactly. The scenarios in a cycle are a narrative, mm-hmm. but there's no requirement for your deck to stay the same from scenario to scenario. Yeah, and in fact, there's no no bookkeeping in in the new the 2.0 version they've just brought out. They've added some campaign element to it, a small amount. Yeah, but. Certainly before, there was no requirement if a scenario beats you that you have to carry on to the next one. And in fact, you can just keep playing that scenario over and over again. Yeah. Change your deck. Okay, hang on. We went into this. There's a massive enemy that comes out early on. We need to change what we're doing. Yeah. So, so Arkham specifically doesn't have that. <laughs> you build, a, mm. you build a, cam- a deck and you take it through a whole campaign. And it actually costs experience, a precious resource to be able to restructure your deck if that's something you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that means if you're playing with some of the new mechanics in a cycle, say, for example, you're trying to build a Curse or Bless deck when Innsmouth came out, mm-hmm. some of the cards that you want to use or upgrade to are locked by the fact that they're in later packs. So if I'm exploring Innsmouth coming out for the first time and I'm playing, I've got my Jackie deck, um, which is which is playing with the bag and playing with, with curse tokens, can't upgrade my Armageddon or Eye of Chaos until the relevant mm-hmm. pack comes out. Or, you know, a, a crucial card comes out in pack one or two and then suddenly I've got to spend XP to put that in my deck. A lot of people house ruled that when a new pack comes out, you can rebuild your deck or add some of the new cards to your deck without spending yeah. experience. And I mm-hmm. I don't blame anyone for doing that because it, it's, it's a restriction driven by the distribution model. 
it's a problem for a specific player who is following the meta. Yes. It's based on that like that competitive style of every month new cards come out and that might make a, a shake up my deck. If obviously it's not a problem at the end of a cycle when all the cards in that environment are available. And funnily enough, I mentioned this when we were reviewing Edge of the Earth player cards. I kept having on the tip of my tongue saying, well, I wonder if X would happen or I wonder if we'll see more cards that play off, you know, say Pocket Telescope peeking at locations and then thinking, but this is all the player cards we're getting. You know, I'm so programmed to thinking, well, let's wait and see what will come in the later packs. And then realizing, no, this is the entire world of these edge of the earth player cards. So you don't, you're not left wondering. You're not, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I totally agree. It is a, it's something that's caught people out. I've also seen players who wait to play until the whole cycle. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, I could never do. Uh, but those players now just buy a box and they can actually use what they've got straight away. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's a desire to, have a bit of control in a way to take some control back from, oh, well, I have to play this at one session a month. Maybe you want to do, you know, a Sunday afternoon, let's play three scenarios if we have time, really get into it. Or we'll meet up and we'll build our decks and see and have a look at XP. What what do we want to upgrade into? And then if we've got time, we'll play a scenario or two. I think the beginning of this campaign, Edge of the Earth, lends itself to that as well. So you've got the, the first three scenarios you can play without without having to pack up and set up a new scenario. Mm-hmm. You keep the same yeah. map. And it's also designed that if you're the person who you only got time for one part, it's set up that you can also pack up. You know, the checkpoint system allows for either playing one gigantic scenario or three parts at the pace that you want. Yeah. Which I think is a good good touch. It the the thing that's particularly good about it, I think, is that it moves all the admin for doing that into the campaign book rather than trying to fit it in cards or or anything like that, which I think is the right way to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that as well. We've talked about the benefits of the new system, and I think a lot of that was obvious, or, or certainly things we could predict when it was announced. How do you feel that that has changed now? We've actually had some experiences. Have there any, I guess, cracks appeared in this this model for you, anyway? Mm. When I was writing some of the cons of the new model, certainly looking at it from player point, I had almost questions rather than explicit problems. So I wondered if it was actually a lot to consume in terms of, you know, I've seen a few people say it's it's quite overwhelming opening the investigator expansion for players and being like, whoa, how do I even begin to, to make a deck for this? Yeah. And that bleeds slightly into what, content creators have also said how do you how do you <laughs> begin to respond to all of this material this full environment that's landed on your doorstep and how do you chop it up we've seen different people do it in different ways but yeah that was one one question i had i think the other one does relate to the meta yeah. of playing at a certain tempo and that feeling of everyone has everything right now in their two boxes and then, it, not that it's the race to who can consume it first, but feeling that the community might feel fragmented, that there are some people who've looked at all the cards and sat down and played them all, and there are other people who've been overwhelmed and gone, I don't even know how to start. Or they're saying, oh, well, I really like the look of this card, and someone else says, well, you need to combo it with the following things. We had someone pop onto our Discord saying, 
I don't know if other people have come across this, but have you realised Ariadne's Twine and Eon chart can give you unlimited secrets? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's a good realisation to have. And that realisation has been had by different people at different times over the last five months. Yeah, yeah. So there's a feeling of, I, I guess, because it all comes at once, maybe cards don't get as much attention individually. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. If, funnily enough, you've gone to investigator cards, I've gone to mm. uh, to, to the campaign structure. Because I think I've got... Oh, yeah. To be honest, I think it's less of an issue with the investigator cards because I think we, we do get around to them eventually. Mm. I think the kind of cards which you don't talk about as much are probably the cards you still wouldn't have talked much about in the old model. So that the, the standout cards in the cycle probably stand out sooner and the other cards fade into the background a little bit. Mm. But I think you can definitely apply that to the to the campaign as well. You get less buzz, less chat about individual scenarios and the mechanics therein. Do you remember like when, when an iconic scenario com- came out in the old model, you'd wait a few days until everyone had played it, and then the, like the, the spoil channels or the, the scenario channel and whatever Discord you were on was like buzzing with people like saying how they got around particular challenges, how they performed mm-hmm. on that individual scenario. Did you think this was hard or, or easy? <laughs> and how much did you struggle with the scenario? And that is more or less totally absent with Edge of the Earth. People tend mm-hmm. to be sharing much broader impressions, maybe some some peaks and lows, the fate of the various partners as you go through. That's the kind of things people are sharing, not the, the performance in the individual scenarios. That's how I feel anyway. I don't know whether you think that's borne out. Mm, yeah, no, I do. As an aside, which I'll edit out, it's almost like, well, maybe I won't edit this out. It's almost like the responsibility is on the people managing these communities to say, this week is Ice and Death Week. Yeah. What do people think of this scenario? And it's much more mechanical, artificial to yeah. say we're going to talk about it as though this scenario has just come out. That that buzz from the old model was natural. It's come out, particularly the week after the release. So people have maybe played it over the weekend or, you know, if their game group meets on a Monday or Tuesday by the end of the following week. People are starting to get really chatty about it. I wondered the other thing I wondered about was for players was is the purchase the the size of the purchase off putting that's two two big boxes and that it felt a lot easier to justify the ten to fifteen pounds a month spread over six months. But I I've not seen people complain about that and I wonder if dividing it by you know splitting the release by a couple of months is at least partly with a view to consumers wallets that they don't feel like they get hit by this if you want to keep playing arkham play 100 plus pounds for these two boxes it's like we'll spread them out a bit for you yeah yeah potentially i mean i you can you can more easily see someone splitting the the campaign expansion can't you Mm, yeah yeah i think most people would would be able to justify it on the basis that um, this is how much I would have spent over X period. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It does seem like it's prompted, this is a positive thing, a shake-up in the community that people might... We already saw this in the pandemic, that more and more people were entering the game at different points. And particularly now, you could have revised core, the Dunwich boxes, and the Edge of the Earth, maybe an Investigator starter deck. 
and that would be your play environment. I even saw a deck on Arkham DB that was trying to coin a phrase that described that. Like I can't remember what it was, but it was some. I thought stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. But it was like <laughs> it was. They'd come up with a name for that. That like new play set, which is more limited. And we have, you know, listeners to the cast who haven't bought every cycle and have either not chased every or they're playing with their group and they've not been ready. Yeah. And in the past, I'd say those people were in the minority and they would need to explain when they were talking about a deck, oh, by the way, I don't own Forgotten Age or whatever it is. Whereas now I think there's much more tolerance in the community around what sets do you own? Like what what point are you in the life of the game? Yeah. I guess for me, the the... As, as I hinted at with the talking about the scenarios, the big issue is just the, the it's it's not a stagnation in the same way it would be with the, with an extended period in a competitive game, but it's I guess it's a long period of time without new things to talk about in mm-hmm. terms of it, so people are going back and replaying old stuff. And I think we've seen again anecdotally on our Discord a number of people. Not stepping back necessarily, but being less active in terms of what they're talking about directly related to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in fact, to be honest, that's kind of applied to us as well. We've both had a lot of things going on, so we've been we've had you, yeah. you've been moving house. So I've been uh, I've had a big project at work and and um, some more responsibilities in my in my role. So it's we've both been busy. So it's been harder mm-hmm. to to spend as much time playing and talking about Arkham. But I think that is also a bit of a result of the fact that we haven't had new cards, scenario or player to talk about for a good, oof, how long is it now? Six months? It's October that it came out, right? So yeah. Yeah. Both, it's, they both feed each other, don't they? There's no new content in terms of for Arkham. Yeah. So it's easier to take a break. Our lives have been busy, so we're also not pursuing new content. Yeah, I think it's no surprise I've seen more people play fan-made scenarios now as well, that there is that appetite for people to find new things to experience. Yeah. And I guess by extension, then, things that they can talk about. We've started playing this campaign. Has anyone else tried it? I mean, bear in mind, of course, that that if if we were on the old model, at this point, we'd, be seeing, we'd only be seeing the back end of the edge of the earth, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we would have done... Six first looks over the last six months, yeah. and we'd just be seeing—I don't know—the triple class talents come out. Yes, yeah. Or Cyclopean Hammer would just be coming out. Whatever it is, these high XP cards, and we'd be going, "Oh my goodness, wow! Yeah, they have <laughs> gone for all of these triple." Yeah. I, I think it's no surprise as well that we come to this episode talking about the distribution model when there is a particular drought with both product from ffg but also news yeah we don't know it, it, about return to dream eaters certainly at the point of recording it might change in the next week we don't know what the next cycle is yet there are some rumors floating around but nothing concrete mm-hmm. we know that that's partly to do with the pandemic really affected shipping yeah. and ffg have decided to use this as a chance to kind of slow down i guess naturally but we also don't know if this is it going to be one campaign a year from now on? Yeah. And certainly in the old model, I would have been pro that because when you're on the treadmill of lots of first looks and material to talk about, it can feel like a lot to do every month. Whereas now that we've tried it once, we're thinking, oh, uh, we could do with some some more maybe. <laughs> 
and yeah, we did talk about how when we looked at this, we I said at the top, I didn't want it to be an oh woe is us as content creators and what do we talk about? Yeah. It's much more manageable the new model in terms of following the releases. There's so far far fewer releases to foddle. Foddle. <laughs> There's far fewer releases to follow. Yeah. But there is potentially this drought in terms of what do we do? You know, I, I've, I've noticed Mythbusters are still reviewing the cards from the Edge of the Earth Investigator expansion for players. So they've taken a bit of time to play them and then they're just working through them card by card. Yeah. And I, I'm really enjoying listening to that because they're obviously coming to them later on with some experience and really useful. And I guess that's a really good approach for sort of letting them fill fill the space, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they do do good on occasion, don't they, those guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hate them, but yeah. Stop, stop the clock and all that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Absolutely. <laughs> do you have any feelings about the, the, the feel of the cycle, Edge of the Earth, on this, in this new format? Do you think that the distribution model has changed how that campaign feels? Yes, it's given us the complete. That's all I needed was to... a yes or no, Frank. Yes. We move, okay. We yes. Move on yeah. No. Same on, question please. to you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do as well, but you you, you explain. That's all I needed. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Done. End of episode. Thanks for listening. No, go on, please. What, what you, you first? What What do you think? Enumerate for me, if you will, the number of ways in which it feels different. First of all, is the length of campaign. Mm-hmm. It It is immediately unshackled from the two plus six which means you can play Ice and Death Part 1 and skip 2 and 3. And then you can also skip Heart of Madness 1 and you can play a four-scenario campaign. Yeah. Just, bam, straight out of the gate. Or I think, or maybe it's five because maybe you're forced to play Fatal Mirage. Or you can end up playing all the bits and have a much more detailed campaign. So it's almost like a concertina that you start a campaign of uncertain length and you're not quite sure how big it's going to be or not. We also talked about in our end of Edge of the Earth episode about how the scenarios have a real consistency of setting. Yes. You've got out on the ice and then on an icy mountain in an icy city. And then I guess Heart of Madness is the least like that because you're in the research facility. But otherwise, yeah, snow features heavily, cold, you know, being in the elements features heavily. The Mirage features heavily. So you can do that as a campaign. And maybe maybe Maxine is free to do that because it's not us opening pack five and being like, oh, guess what? It's another ice scenario. There's there's a need for a new encounter set in every scenario that dominates much of the feel of this of the scenario, I would say. Mm. In 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 the mythos packs, as it were, you'd either have well you'd have to have it's it's roughly the same number of cards, I guess. Mm. That, that, yeah, that it's make... a thirty-ish cards. Yeah, yeah. so so that those thirty cards probably dominate the field of the scenario, whereas mm. in this there's 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 not the same requirement. I mean, the scenarios still do feel like different scenarios, but say the first three scenarios all feel very much like happening in the same place with the same kinds of hazards that you're encountering, mm. because of yeah. the reuse of the, the the broader encounter sets in the uh, in the pack. You even number the agendas sequentially and the acts. It's one scenario in three parts rather than, right, okay, let's put away ice and death and then get out death and ice or whatever the (laughs) second part is. And death ice for the third? 
I don't want to turn this into a, a review necessarily of Edge of the Earth, but do you think there's a... I think I do have a criticism. Um, what score sort of, would you give Edge of Earth no, out no. of five? Yeah. Um, how many ice picks out of five? Do you think there's a compelling reason to skip those scenarios? Mm, mechanically, no. Mm-hmm. Narratively, yes. <laughs> you know, so like... In the five solo campaigns I'm doing, I've made some of the decisions based purely on roleplay. And that started even in the prologue, whether to try to persuade Dyer or uh, to convince Dyer or not. Mm-hmm. It's I've mainly made that decision of like, oh, Harvey, he's a man of reason. He would talk to Dyer. Oh, Leo, he's stubborn. He would just go ahead without his blessing. And I've, I've chosen more or less at random apart from roleplay. And so then... Some of the interludes say, you know, do you want to flee to the mountains or do you want to stay and fight? And I've done a similar-ish thing of, to use those two investigators' example, Harvey would say, we're going to cut our losses and be sensible. And Leo's locking and loading and ready to fight. <laughs> so I'd, do, I'd say that they'd get the choice for a story, but not there's not more reason beyond that. So I feel, I, I don't want to say it's a missed opportunity. I definitely feel like it's something that, can be explored, unlike in the previous model. You, you doing even just skipping scenarios in the old model was was a difficult one to justify. Mm-hmm. Do you want to play this content that you've got? I sort of feel yeah. like in this you could do like a speed run where you skip stuff and then you make yeah. up for the disadvantages of having done that or, or benefit from the advantages of doing it. Mm. And we we see in Fatal Mirage the same thing where. It's almost impossible in Fatal Mirage, I think probably is impossible, to see all of the story of the nine partners. Yeah. yeah. So you ha- you have to pick and choose. Yeah. And in the old model, that would be maybe frustrating. But it's like you buy this pack, it has all of these cards, all of these locations with story on them, and you only get to see three of them. Whereas with this, it's like, yeah, revisit. Yeah, and even revisiting a scenario feels like it would have been a bit harder to do in the old model. I think you could have fudged it. But it, it works mm-hmm. much better here. So I definitely feel like that's something that could be explored more in future ones. And I'm sure that's something Maxine's got on her radar. So, you know, mm. do you want to do this where this might happen? Or do you want to do this? So say you might have in Ice or Death, you might be able to take the fight to the to the miasma. Or you might be able to take a more kind of investigatory route around it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it it feels like that could be an advantage of the new system, but I don't think Edge of the Earth explored that necessarily. Yeah, is that exactly what I'm trying to say? I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Edge of the Earth feels very much, and I'm stealing this from other people who've said it, like the Dunwich of the new model. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'd 100%. say much higher quality in terms of the scenarios themselves and the d- diversity of experience across them, but it feels like it's a showcase for the new model without necessarily blowing our minds with any one thing. And yeah, skipping scenarios is a great example. There's not really a knock-on punishment about whether you do or whether you don't. It's just a thing that you can do now in exactly the same way that you can take a break between checkpoints or you can play Fatal Mirage one or three times, depending on what goes on. These are cool things, but they don't hugely impact the experience. And you almost feel like you're cheating yourself out of fun. I don't come to Arkham to not play Arkham, you know what I mean? (laughs) 
Because also when you choose to skip a scenario, that's that play session over, isn't it? That's it, yeah. You, you just, just pack up your cards yeah, and go Pack home. up again. Exactly. Yeah. It's a waste of everyone's time. It's definitely when I've gone out to play Edge of the Earth with friends in person before I moved, it definitely has a lot of overhead in terms of remembering what to bring. Because you've got the supplies, the tequila lead deck, mm-hmm. the partners, are any of the partners resolute, frost tokens, you know, and there's a lot of bits that go alongside, which I guess, again, is like a, a feature of the new model, yeah. that you can have these different sets of things, and they weren't all crowding out space in the deluxe, yeah. you know, because the deluxe has to fit two scenarios as well as all of these other bits. So, yeah, you get away with having all of these extra little decks of stuff. I mean, that's, it's a pretty minor complaint that you're, tr- I'm worrying about what to remember to bring or not. But um, if that's the extent of what's bothered me about it, I think we've done pretty well. Yeah. It's funny, as we were talking earlier on about the old model, I was thinking, oh gosh, is this just going to turn into a peon to how great the new model is? But it's not like we're completely all roses about how great it is. It seems like there's scope for it to be even better. Yeah, well, yeah. I said this on our Discord. I said I was a big proponent for the new way of doing things. And I, I could see a lot of the benefits right off the bat. Just the, yeah. the the flexibility in how you purchase it, the ease of, well, how much easier it would be for retailers to keep stock uh, available for them. Yeah, I think there was a lot of benefits that were, were quite immediately apparent. But yeah. what I didn't predict was what the impact on the community would be of even if the cycles come out at the same rate, it's a long period of time between expansions now. Mm. So even if we're still getting the kind of 1.5 to 2 campaigns a year, you've gone from, you know, a month between any bit of content to mm-hmm. to six seven eight months between them and it's a mm-hmm. long period of time to fill and i really appreciate now when maxine warned us about this when we talked to her about this last time mm-hmm. she said the people i've worried for the most are the content creators and i was like yeah, whatever i'm sure it's gonna be fine pity the poor content creators yeah. <laughs> but but actually i think i think she was on the money and yeah it's not that we're struggling to make or come up with with content to make right we've still got a list as long of as long as our arm of, of things we mm-hmm. want to record mm-hmm. but it's harder to keep that engagement and that regular drop of content and people talking about it and the buzz of talking about it has changed and i think we us two haven't done as much to to, to keep people engaged as we could have done potentially mm-hmm. mm. yeah quite possibly I'm wondering if there'll be listeners saying, hang on, the community's healthier than ever. It's bigger than ever. Uh, there's so many more ways you can play. There's the campaign play along. Yeah. There's, you know, there's discussion. It's it's that classic thing of we shouldn't ascribe our subjective experience yeah. necessarily to the communities as a whole. We, As ever, though, we'd be interested to hear what other people think. Are you listening to this episode and thinking, yeah, this is... This is the level of Arkham I consume. I listen to a podcast once in a while and I've played the campaign and I'm in no rush to play more. Or are you thinking, yeah, I pour this into my ears as soon as it comes out because I'm playing four times a week and I've got loads of campaigns on the go. But, but this is... We're building up. We're going to do the community survey one day, aren't we? Yeah, well, we're slowly getting there. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've said this before. 
to you personally, I think that the the number of people who play at their kitchen table and don't speak about the game online and but still consume it all, still listen to the podcast, yeah. I think they probably outnumber everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. Like it's occasionally on our Discord, someone will pop up and be like, Oh yeah, hi, I've listened to every single episode. <laughs> and it's someone you've yeah. never seen mention mention themselves in the Discord before. You'll have seen them join and then then you don't hear from them. And they're like, Well, I just had this thought on this latest episode. Um and that's absolutely fascinating to me. There's, mm-hmm. there's like mm-hmm. thousands of people out there. You don't have to be a participant in any of the discussion. No, because the main part of the game is playing by yourself or with your friends. Yeah. Completely separate. There's no meta really that includes you uh, or that requires you to be a part of it. I guess it's, it's the move from competitive to cooperative, isn't it? Can can I can I make a comparison with Elden Ring? I know you're sick of me doing. Yeah, go Frank. on. <laughs> I've got... No, 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 not at all, not so, at all. So go on. Part of what I really enjoy about that kind of game, the, the Soulsborne sort of game, is the community aspect of playing it. So mm. discovering things alongside the other people playing it. You know, sharing. Oh, have you seen this? You know, if you go down this little tunnel here, you can find this thing that's really useful. And, Oh yeah, this this guy is weak to this particular element, so try using that if you're stuck on it. That kind of thing. That's something I I, I really really enjoy. But a friend <laughs> on on a totally separate um, uh, kind of instant messaging app, we've we've got a channel set up separately for that. You can do this thing in Elden Ring where you have like a shared password for messages, so you can see messages people have left on the ground from your group more easily. Mm-hmm. One player popped up, asked what the password is, and then said, okay, that's it, I'm out now, and then left the channel <laughs> because they want to experience the game totally fresh, independently, without any without any preconceptions or anything anyone else is talking about influencing them. Mm. All they wanted was the password to see the messages on the floor. That's it. Uh, and I've talked to yeah. them since, and they, they've totally forged their own path through the game, um, and they're having an absolute blast with it. And they just don't want to experience it in the same way as you. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. Experience, well, they want to experience it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, like... that's what's lurking in the background, isn't it? All of those kitchen table players of Arkham, you're Play doing it wrong. wrong. Oh, wow. There goes our listenership. No, that was a joke, by the way. Absolutely. Yes, I'll stress that was yeah. definitely a joke. And it's just something I find fascinating about uh, the way people want to enjoy things. Mm-hmm. It's just totally different to the things I, I like about it. And I think that's really one of the things I love about Arkham so much, just the, the mm. breadth of its appeal. Yes, yeah. Sorry, I've, ram- I've rambled. <laughs> Don't apologise, it's useful, because as ever, this just illustrates to me that it is subjective, and we are, we have many hats, because we are players and consumers of the game, but we also talk about the game, and we also have talked to the designers about the game, so we have different things going on for us, and I was noticing as we were talking, they do bleed into each other in terms of, oh, you know, the content drought, is that a drought for content creators? Or is it? does it say something bigger about the community we love and the players we like mixing with if they're talking less? Is there a kind of sadness around things have got quieter? Maybe. So you, listener, can get in touch with us. What do you think about the old model and the new model? Do you care? Is it something that's affected you at all? Were you overwhelmed? Are you delighted? We'd love to hear from you. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, Twitter, Designed by Humans, and Patreon. If you become a patron of our cast at any level, you get access to our 
lovely, friendly Discord that talks about Elden Ring, Root, <laughs> lots of stuff about Arkham, including building decks, talking about scenarios, more generally talking about people's favourite cards and least favourite cards and whether cards are too good or not, all of that sort of thing. So you can become a member and say hello. And if you're already a patron, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I'm United Everywhere, that's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and Discord and Reddit and Steam as United, and I'm on Instagram as the.united. Please say hello. I've also got a second supplementary podcast effort with my friend Ali slash Shanadin. That's called Done to Death, where we look at horror podcasts. And we're on Twitter as at Done to Death Cast. How about you, Frank? Peter said he looks at horror podcasts, but he means horror films. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you review it. other horror podcasts. Oh, man, that, that's an <laughs> idea for a project, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the review of reviews, yeah. I'm Twitter at FB, that's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. I'm not, I'm not literally Twitter, I am on Twitter as at FB, E-P-H underscore B-E-E, and I'm around the place as Zooey Glass and Zozo. Please say hello. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Paul glued each of his six eyes to the lens of the cosmoscope. His nasal tentacles were orange with fear, and his antennae buzzed hoarsely as he dictated his report to the operator behind him. It has come, he cried. That blur in the ether can be nothing less than a fleet from outside the space-time continuum we know. Nothing like this has ever appeared before. It must be the enemy, William Joseph Hatch. Give the alarm to the Intercosmic Chamber of Commerce. Did he write that? Yeah. It's absolutely bananas. His nasal tentacles of orange with fear is so good. I knew now the change through which I had passed, and through which certain others who once were men had passed, and I knew the endless cycle of the future which none like me may escape. I shall live for ever, be conscious for ever, though my soul cries out to the gods for the boon of death and oblivion. All is before me. Beyond the deafening torrent lies the land of Scott Armstrong, where young men are infinitely old. The green meadow, I will send a message across the horrible, immeasurable abyss. At this point, the text becomes illegible. (laughs) 